windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones. The game winner got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Friday. It is a day before a jam-packed Saturday on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Two basketball games for you, back-to-back per se. One o'clock women's game against Chattanooga. It's the alumni day. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. 12.30 airtime. Mike Gallagher on the call. He'll take you all the way up to 3.30. We'll, we'll wrap up that, and we'll start pregame coverage of ETSU versus UNCG. So two big games, ETSU, both home games. If you're in town, you can make the women's game at 1.00. Very easily make the trip over to Freedom Hall at 4 and catch two spectacular games. If you're not in the area and listening uh, somewhere outside the state and such, which I know we do, and folks, you can easily tune into the ESPN Family Networks. Two big games for you. Again, 1 o'clock, get you a little bit of a breather. 4 o'clock, tune in for that. So two big games. We will recap, and that will be coming up here in just a second. We will recap the game versus the Mercer Bears. Yes, we have to. I know we don't want to talk about it, but I feel like several things we need to get off our chest. And then uh, last but not least, Full predictions. My favorite segment. Your favorite, my least favorite all of a sudden. Oh, Unbelievable. It. It's strange it. how that works, doesn't it? It is. Yeah. You've been bra- Oh, okay, we're time, it. Yeah. 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 So excited about it. my Mike Gallagher and, voice here. Not yeah, a good one. So, good so one excited. It. And uh, now it's Super Bowl week. And by the way, I can't believe that it's Super Bowl week. It just has not seemed like it's here. I can't believe it's the last game uh, of the NFL there, year. There, there is nothing I'm more excited about than watching my Chiefs win a Super Bowl. <laughs> yes. Cannot win. Yes, your Chiefs, of course. All right, what are we talking about? Master Mercer? bandwagon jumper at this point. I don't know what you're talking about. All right, let's talk, well, let's talk about it. ETSU at home uh, against the Mercer Bears. Mercer was coming in hot, shooting the basketball very well the last four games. It was um, Georgie Dimitrievich who had been on fire. He does not get his seventh consecutive game or 20 more points. But he did finish with 18 and a very efficient uh, 18 points on just nine shots taken. That might be the most efficient we've seen all season. And for the second game in a row, ETSU had allowed a team to shoot over 50%. The 64% that Mercer shot was the most ever in the Steve Forbes air opposing uh, goal percentage. The odd thing for me is you give up 64% shooting, and he's had 71 points. So I, I got in a little bit of argument with uh, – Kevin Brown, our sports information director, about that because every time I think and can remember 60, 55, people were scoring like 90 points, 80 points. And we looked it up, and it was only there was only two times in the history of Steve Forbes being the head coach that's been 60 or more. Furman last year? Is that one? No. No. Wow. UNC. God, uh, I felt like U- they shot 80% well, that Both day. home losses. It was UNC Wilmington in which the Bucks lost by 21. Right. Yep. So, And this was the, the biggest loss. At home for ETSU since that game, correct. And and conference wise, at home it was the worst loss in Steve Forbes' era as well. So a lot of things going uh, against ETSU in that direction. 
But every time the Bucks had given up 55% or more, there were a couple of games in the set, including the, the Smurfs game. There were two – I think there were ten altogether. Uh, two games were in the 70s. A lot were in the 80s, some in the 90s, some in the 100s <laughs> that were given up. And, and that was really a sample size over the last, like, 10, 15 years because obviously there wasn't enough – uh, to go with just head coach Steve Forbes because I haven't given up that much. So when you look at everything there, uh, to me, just to give up 71 points and 64% shooting, you're still right there. And I don't know if it's a matter of twofold. ETSU shot three of 22 from three. If they hit, I don't know, three more. I'm not even talking crazy. You hit three more threes, so you're six of 22. Shoot it at 27% from outside, which is still not good for them. No, but you shoot that and you're then right you there. hit, you know, five more free throws because they were eight of 14 from there eight of 18 Uh, and then maybe two layups Uh, that one's game or a couple of shots that mercer hit doesn't go down coupled with a couple of shots going down so i i the disturbing uh factor for coach forbes was clearly the last two games they've given up 50 and 64 percent shooting on etsu's home floor so i i get that and that's what he's disturbed about to me i mean you give a six four percent shooting just 71 points you're still in the game i mean and that was the the weird part was they were in the game but yet it felt like they weren't in the game but they were it, it was very odd i thought then the first half where etsu turned it over didn't get a shot off start of the second half had the ball with a chance again to tire take the lead because they were only down two didn't do anything positive with the possession mercer scores etsu comes right back and score so it's a two-point deficit you think okay you get a stop but then it was like a seven eight nothing run for mercer and then it went on and, and the last thing, and then I just need to take a breath, was I tried to find long scoring droughts because it just felt like ETSU, again, had trouble scoring. And I read this to Mike yesterday when I looked it up, but there was nothing over four minutes. I, I was expecting like a seven-minute drought, an eight-minute drought, something like But what I did find was nine mini droughts. And the drought links, two minutes, 33 seconds, 150, 252, 307, 324, 406, 306, 257, 252. So a lot hanging around the three-minute mark. That equaled 26 minutes and 47 seconds of a 40-minute basketball game. So impressively, 13 minutes and 13 seconds, ETSU was able to score 55 points. That's a third of the game. So they were on pace in those 13 minutes for 165 points. Yeah, they're rock and roll. Crazy. The, the odd thing was they just weren't able to put together more other than the start of the game, where I think they jumped out 8-2 lead. They were not able to put together just several possessions of back-to-back buckets, and that's what really cost them. Here's Coach Forbes. First of all, got to give Greg Gary and his team a ton of credit to come in here and win a game this late in the year, uh, and not just win it, but whip us. thought they were the tougher team. They, they out-executed us. They out-defended us. They got every loose ball. They just deserved to win. We can go back and say, well, we didn't shoot the ball well, which we didn't, but we couldn't guard them either. And this is a troubling trend for me. When they come in here and shoot 64% from the field for the game, I mean, honest truth is Chattanooga shot over 50% too in here. Those are troubling numbers, not winning numbers, and, and we've got to get some things fixed. One of the things about being on a team is doing your job, coaches included, and players got to do their job too, and we got some guys that are not doing their job. Until we get that everybody going on the same page with that, we're, we're going to struggle. Speaking of troubling trends, as Coach Forbes mentioned, as you mentioned, the only other team this year to shoot above 50% from the field against CTSU outside of these last two games with Chattanooga and then Mercer is Kansas. And you look at those three games, and granted, it didn't cost the Bucks against Chattanooga. 75-64 uh, to 64 was the final. But Kansas, we know, one of the better teams in the country. Now, ETSU hung right with them. Again, it was a solid effort. 
But if you hit a couple more shots, you're in the game just like against Mercer. That being said, if you give up more than 50% from the field, you're just not giving yourself a great chance to win the ball game. Teams to shoot above 35% from three this year against ETSU, and it's a short list, which I was shocked about, not because I think ETSU is a bad team defending the three. I think the exact opposite. I think they're great at defending the three, and these stats bring it out. Mercer, NDSU, and Little Rock. And that, to me, is the more concerning list because, yes, it's only three, which is fantastic, but it really does highlight how important defending the arc is for this team, and when they don't do it at their highest possible clip, you see the results. Mercer, the loss. NDSU, the loss. Little Rock had to come from behind down seven late in the ballgame to win on the road, and granted, a very good one on the road, and they did come back and get that W, but those three games, the Bucks certainly not comfortable. We'll remember NDSU as probably the Bucks' um, most forgettable effort in the non-conference. That was by far the biggest egg of the year. And then this past game against Mercer speaks for itself, as we're talking about. So I just kept waiting for ETSU to wake up. You know, they were just kind of sleepwalking, it seemed like, through the game. And again, as Coach said, give Greg Gary and his squad credit because guys kind of played out of their mind. And that's the other part that makes me feel semi-all right about this loss. Now, I'm not going to sit back and say, ah, I'm still comfortable. I think the Bucks are still the number one with the bullet favorite in the Southern Conference Tournament lock for the NCAA. think we have an at-large chance. Now that's probably out the window, you know, and you can't say after losing to a Mercer team that is, what, in the bottom 50 of the net, RPI, wherever you may look, uh, a team that, yes, was hot coming in, but overall the resume just isn't there. Victor Bafudo, 5 of 5, 10 points. And you look at him on the year, 3.9 points per game. Uh, Magic Bender, greatest name in college basketball, 6 of 9 from the field, 14 points on the year, 6.1. Sometimes you have to have uncommon efforts. Uh, Coach Zell talks about it all the time on the women's side, which we're going to talk about here in the next segment, but uncommon efforts to go on the road and get a W against a very solid team, a team that was undefeated in their home gym this year, and they got that. But you're right, 64% to only put up 71 points. I'm encouraged by that simply because Mercer's probably not going to shoot the ball at that clip again this season. And you look at how they were able to just put up only 71. They turned it over 20 times. So that's some of it. Only got up 42 shots and made 27 of them. Very impressive. But it kind of reminds me of the Furman game last year a little bit. Not in the sense that you got completely blown out of the water because 71-55 isn't a complete blowing out of the water. But you looked at the half and ETSU was down two and Mercer was shooting 63%. And I was so sure that this was going to go ETSU's way because no way Mercer can shoot the ball like that the entire game, right? And in fact, they shot it better in the second half than they did the first. But uh, there's a lot to unpack, undoubtedly. But I think Coach Forbes did hit the nail on the head. Concerning, no doubt, that the last two games at home, 50% uh, plus for opponents from the field. And the only other, only other game being Kansas this year, a team shot above 50% from the field. And then outside the arc, yeah, 4 of 11 isn't great. Don't get me wrong. But 36%, the Bucks haven't given up that clip often this year and Dmitry Ivich, you know knocked down a couple of them he's a really good looking player and uh, they hurt in the end as did a lot of things that ETSU saw that day from the Bears who are definitely on a run right now five in a row Def- yeah one of the hottest teams the only other hot team is UNCG which is going to come in and we'll talk about that a little bit later I think they won six straight and Furman's a team that's really kind of that really had to escape a win against VMI and, and they're happy because they're sitting in eight and two and they get a day off on Saturday, the rare Saturday day off, and they're going to sit there and watch UNCG and ETSU and know that one team has to leave the game of the loss. So they know instead of a three-way 
uh, top the standing for first place. It'll at least be a two-way. And one of the teams, uh, ETSU or UNCG, has clearly got to take an L, and that's going to put them in a good spot. And then Mercer's going to host Citadel, and then Mercer goes to Furman. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see sort of how that plays out over the next little bit. And for ETSU, you know, this was a stretch where you're thinking, okay, if you could uh, get Chattanooga, get Mercer, I, I'm talking before the three-game homestand and what we talked about, then if you can get by UNCG at home, you know, then you turn around with Chattanooga Mercer like it was a favorable schedule. And now those games look looming large because Chad is way better uh, than what we thought to begin this season. And Mercer has just, I think, figured out what Coach Gary wants to do and been able to execute everything that, that he wants. And I think it takes a while when you go from uh, coaches and you can see non-conference. It took Mercer a while to figure it out. But I think the way that Georgie Dimitrievich has gone, plus I think knowing that Ross Cummings is not coming back, the, the more established roles, I think that's helped. But Ethan Stair, great freshman campaign, missed uh, what would have been his true sophomore year due to an injury. His redshirt sophomore year still not 100% recovered. Junior year started to make strides. Now he's starting to show nice player. why uh, a lot of guys were recruiting him, including Steve Forbes, said he was on the radar at Wichita State. Just a couple of guys he wanted ahead of him decided to come to Wichita State. Wow. And I think you're starting to see why he was a high-level talent. And even Coach Forbes admitting that he saw Georgie Dimitrievich in junior college at Western Nebraska Community College and really liked him, just didn't think he would be able to fit. And even Coach Forbes saying, well, if I'd have known clearly he would have been this good. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. of course we would have took him. Right. Who wouldn't have took him? So I, I think it's interesting. I think the only thing I'm going to talk about uh, on this game before we move on, and, and I think this game was a game you could truly look and say, okay, other than maybe Isaiah Tisdale, everybody shares the blame in the loss. Uh, Tisdale, seven points, three of five from the floor, one of three from the line, and maybe there's your critique there. Crashed the offensive glass. Seven rebounds. He was all over Led it. the team in rebounds. One turnover. But maybe the free throws. But other than that, Bo Hodges clearly wasn't aggressive as what we saw in the previous game. He seemed to not have a couple things go his way, and I don't know if that was factoring into or not. Didn't get some calls, didn't get shots to drop. He finished, and overall, it looks like a nice day, 12.6 rebounds, but it just didn't feel like a Bo Hodges game to me. Patrick Good's now three straight games out of field goal. Oh, of his last 14. I, and I'm, I'm just going to skim through the rest of that. Uh, Vonnie Patterson, a couple of de- – now it's a bad matchup because he had to switch. He had seven footers on him, wasn't able to guard that. Lucas Gasson, who had 11 points, five and nine shooting, six rebounds, still had a couple layups, didn't go down, still had trouble sort of on that, on that uh, mid-third pick and roll that, that right down the center of the gut, which Chattanooga and Mercer, second half Chattanooga, almost all day Mercer, uh, he had trouble defending. Trey Boyd, one of nine. Davian Williamson was three of nine. Octavian Corley played less than a minute, picked up two fouls. Joe Hughley had uh, a couple of a back-to-back defensive gaffes and then, of course, had the shot clock violation. And Charlie Weber only got in the last couple of minutes when the game was over, so, so maybe, I don't know if I can say anything bad about Charlie. But everybody, to me, you, you, could, you need to look in the mirror before you start pointing fingers at, at everybody else. And I'm not saying ETSU was pointing fingers at everybody else, but I think the team can look in the mirror and go, okay, th- this is on us. Now, that being said, they laid an egg at Furman. They played UNCG. They were able to pick up the win. They've got to turn the page a little quicker. Coach Forbes did have some thoughts on individuals that I think he and we believe do need to be better going forward. Part of your, their job is to for us to be successful is to score, and we need them to score. Uh, they don't need to necessarily lead us in scoring, but they have to score. You know, Pascal had three straight games and I haven't made a basket. And I haven't said anything to him. I, I believe in him. I know he's a good player. I know he can shoot it. I haven't made a big deal out of it. But tonight it became very apparent when – Trey can't make one, and Pat can't make one. And then here's the thing. A lot of those shots that we're missing, I think they're pretty wide open. 
we have to make those things, and it, it's killing us. Trey Boyd, the other one that he's talking about outside of Patrick Good, <clears throat> those two combined for uh, one field goal in 15 attempts on Wednesday night. And in the first game against UNCG earlier this year, Trey Boyd and Patrick Good combined for 20 points. And I'm just going to rattle off the games that they've done that and haven't. They did it against Newberry, UT Martin, Southern Utah, Appalachian State, Citadel, NDSU, though Pat Good was 0 of 6 from the field. So that was another field goalless game for Pat. Milligan, LSU, Cleveland State, Mars Hill, VMI, Sanford. A couple of games that they did not combine for 20 or more. Wofford, Furman, Mercer. Three of the more forgettable offensive performances of the year. Now, Wofford, granted, it was a win, but you're not going to win a lot of games 49-48. to 48. So I think Coach Forbes has hit it right in the head, and maybe we're not breaking news here, but you always look for keys where teams can thrive or fail. Who needs to pick up the slack? And who can the team do without having a big night? And I think Coach Forbes, when he says that Pat Good and Trey Boy don't need to lead the Bucks in scoring, ETSU doesn't need any one person to lead them in scoring every night, right? Because it's Bo Hodges, because it's Isaiah Tisdale, because it's Lucas Gusson, because it's even Joe Hughley sometimes. You know, the list goes on and on. With Jerome Rodriguez out, now there is more pressure on everybody, right? Because he's one of the seven or eight that can lead you in scoring. But to see the struggles of Patrick Good now – what appears to be consistently, right? I mean, this is three straight games. This isn't an aberration. This isn't a one-off. Now, I am of the belief that the closer he gets to a big blow-up game is, you know, the more games he puts behind him where he gets shut out, right? So three, four, five. He's going to blow up here eventually. But it is concerning to see that these shooting problems are popping up. Again, I'm not panicking about this game simply because ETSU still held a team that shot 64% to 71 points, and that game was winnable if a couple things go other ways. But that being said, you look at the individual performances, and you know we've had Pat on the show before. Pat's a really humble, chill, even-keeled guy. He's going to find it. Trey Boyd, we know, is a bit more up and down. But when both have an off night, that's the concerning part. And when somebody gets shut out, you know, when you're talking 0 of 6 at NDSU for Patrick Good, we were talking three straight games now without a point. Uh, they have to form a kind of two-headed monster. They don't have to be, you know, combined for 40. They don't have to have one guy have 25, but just have to give you a little bit more. They don't have to give you the world, just a little bit more than they've given. Here's some stats that blew my mind because it seems like ETSU is pressing offensively at home. Conference games, 4-1 and one at home, five home games, Wofford, VMI, Sanford, Chattanooga, Mercer. Bucks are averaging... 65.6 points per game. They're shooting 23% from three, 26 from 111, 64% from the line, 62 of 97. Bo Hodges in five conference games is 0 of 11 from three, 56% from the free throw line. Mm. Lucas Casson's one for three from three. That's fine. It's third, you know, you'll take that from him. 65% free throw shooter at home. Davian Williamson, three of 11 from three. Trey Boyd, 9 of 33, 27%. Him and Williamson both at 27%. Tisdale's 2 of 11, 180, uh, 18%. Joe Hughley's 3 of 6. He was 2 two of 2 last game. 7 of 26, 27% for Patrick Good. So three year better outside shooters. Williamson, Boyd, Good, all at 27%, the exact same percentage. 1 for 7, Vonnie Patterson. Let's go to the road games because I, I find this very interesting. Bucks on the road averaging 75 points a game. Now, at home defensively, I will say this. The Bucks are only giving up 60. That's still going to get you a lot of wins. And they're forcing 86 turnovers 
86 turnovers in five games of 42 steals, averaging 17 points off turnovers per game. So, mm. so And that's clearly an area where ETSU is thriving at. On the road, this is what's throwing me off, 75 points per game. Now, they played at Citadel, but they've also played at Furman, at UNCG, and at Western. So three of the better teams, right? <clears throat> and I know the game against Citadel was early, and the Bucks did explode for 96 in that game. But they're shooting 33% on the road from three. 46%, which is um, they were 43% at home from the floor, so 30% or 3% better from the field, almost 10 points better as far as shooting uh, beyond the arc. And Trey Boyd, 8 of 23 from three. Tisdale, 7 of 16 from three. And again, he probably had that outlier game at Western Carolina. Bo Hodges, 3 of 7 from three. Goussons, 1 of 1. Williamson, 3 of 10. Hughley, 1 of 7. Patrick Good, 4 of 16. So he's obviously struggled in league play. Bonnie Patterson, 1 of 6. But here's the other one. Free throw, 72% on the road. And to me, that's impressive because they've had to hit some key free throws down the stretch. UNCG, for an example, in Western Carolina. So, uh, 7 of 9. Let's see, Trey Boyd, 78%. Tisdale, 62%. Hodges, 60%. Goussaint, 77% on the road. Davey Williamson's uh, hit all of them. Hughley, 7 of 9. 5 of 6 for Pat. And Bonnie Patterson, 2 of 3 from there. Now, the Bucks have uh, turned it over one more time than their opponents on the road. And again, I think at Furman, at UNCG, where most of those happen, but 54 turnovers to 53, they're averaging 16 points off turnovers still. I, I, I can't figure out. Normally, those numbers are always reversed. Now, on the road, they're giving up 68 points per game. So the defense is clearly – this is why I'm not panicking. And I know they've given up a lot of field goals the last couple games. Defense is where you're going to win the championship. Defense is always going to – if you can still play defense, it's going to keep you in games or are going to win games. They are still playing defense. The offense is what's been alarming, and, yes, it has cost them a couple of games this year, North Dakota State, Furman, and clearly the last game against Mercer. But you're 18-4. and four. I mean, let's calm down. Is the at-large maybe gone? Probably. I mean, in fairness, if ETSU rattled off the rest of the games, huge if, if they rattled off all the rest of the games lost in the title game, depending on how Little Rock finished, depending on how Winthrop finished, depending on how LSU finished, depending on how the rest of the league does. You know, does Mercer continue to win or do they lose? Does UNCG and Furman Wofford continue to win and beat up on the rest of the league? Well, then you, you, you may have a shot. But right now, I think the focus is clearly not on that. And I don't know if the focus was on that. I think, you know, the obvious is it was a pretty big trap game. You come off Chattanooga in which ETSU fans, including myself, uh, the media folks around town, I think the promotions, everything you want to do to beat Chattanooga plays into it. And then you can tell a kid, hey, Mercer's hot. They've been shooting the ball great. But – they're not dumb. They look at their phones, right? They look at the standings. They say, okay, well, Mercer's won four in a row. They beat VMI twice. They beat Sanford. They beat Western at home. Probably not that impressed by it. UNCG's the next game up. I mean, to me, it was a little bit of a perfect storm of everything. It just shows that in sports, at pretty much every level, you can't take a, a night off. I mean, you really can't. And so um, the shooting, I think, again, was a little bit of an outlier uh at I don't know at home they just really struggle I, I can't figure out at home now the Bucks were able to bounce back after loss at Furman against UNCG maybe a little help from Wes Miller at the end of the game but they still were able to bounce back will ETSU be able to do that Saturday tomorrow we'll find out four o'clock and we'll talk about that in just a second no steps out timeout how about we do that Santa sidekick let's preview let's wash ourselves of the Mercer game 
And let's talk about what's going to be one heck of a mid-major college basketball game, UNCG, TSU, for this time I'm saying I'm sidekick. On the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. A music choice by Mike Gallagher. Bring new segment new up. Bring them up. Bring them up. Here we go. Here we go. Turn the page. UNCG. Are you fired up? I'm pumped. I am too. Ah, I love when you get a, a massive game on tap that gets some national attention. And I don't know, maybe lost a little steam for uh, ETSU, maybe not. But ETSU is going to play UNCG. If nothing else, UNCG has been waiting. Wes Miller's been waiting. Isaiah Miller's been waiting. Name somebody. Waiting. Well, Kyron Galloway had to wait a long time. Oh, my goodness. He's finally back. And he's, he's back. It'll be He missed five. I think it was five. Five, yep. Five games, and this will be his third game back. Correct. And it is clearly was missed uh, offensively uh, for UNCG. It seems like he's still trying to get his scoring prowess back. I think he had 15 last time against West Carolina right. after a couple of single-digit games. So, maybe he's starting to turn the corner. That may be bad for ETSU. But they get a stretch four back, and that's going to be an important matchup. And this will be another game where no Jerome Rodriguez. And I didn't mention that, but, uh, you know, Rodriguez be interesting to play because Galloway's not a traditional four. This is some – this is a – where Bucks could have used Rodriguez last game, I'm not sure – Obviously, Rodriguez is a talented rebounder. You use him all the time. But being a stretch four, getting Bonnie Patterson, getting Bo Hodges to play a little bit of that four position, uh, even Joe Hughley because he can go out there. I think it'll be interesting to see how the Bucks do that. And Joe Hughley, don't forget, had a massive game against UNCG uh, at their place. No doubt. And speaking of rebounding, you talked about Jeremy Rodriguez and his rebounding prowess. I'm also not worried, if we look back to segment one just briefly, about something we didn't bring up, minus 12 on the boards for ETSU. Not really worried about that because the Bucks just missed a bunch of shots, and Mercer did a good job, granted, you know, clearing the defensive glass. They only had five offensive rebounds, while ETSU had 12 uh, second-chance points, the Bucks 11 to 8. So outside of Isaiah Tisdale, they did a good, a good job clearing the defensive glass. Tisdale clearly wreaked a, bit, a little bit of havoc down low, but 37 to 25 doesn't bother me as much simply because Mercer didn't miss a lot of shots. What, 15, and ETSU got 13 defensive rebounds. Um, and when it comes to the other end of the court, ETSU, um, you know, Isaiah Tisdale went down low, did what he does, scrappy, junkyard dog, like Steve Forbes says, um, and the Bucks had 12 offensive rebounds. You know, Mercer did a pretty good job of keeping him off the offensive glass, but still, minus 12 uh, in the flow of that game, not as big of a deal. Uh, the Spartans have just slowly been getting back to 100%. You know, it was Caleb Hunter. He missed a couple of weeks and returned against ETSU. But that first game back, kind of a non-factor, right? He was still trying to find the flow of the game and 0 for 3 with one point. Kobe Langley off the bench missed a couple of weeks. Michael Hewitt Jr. just returned last game after missing a couple of weeks. And then Galloway 
missed three and a half weeks. Those five games returned two games ago. I think he had six points, and then last game he had 15. He's the big one. I mean, he can be a real difference maker for them. And like you said, I'm not sure the matchup would be great for Jeremy Rodriguez, at least on the defensive end, because Galloway is, you know, 6'8", 215, um, and just more of that lengthy um, can bother you because he can play all over the court, but also athletic. So not sure what that would have looked like. It is unfortunate because I would love to see these two teams go at it 100% on each side. But ETSU for the second time against UNCG doesn't have Jerome Rodriguez. I believe that was the first game that Jerome missed with UNCG uh, coming about three weeks ago, and he's been out since, obviously. Uh, but with Hunter coming back and starting to get back in the swing of things, Galloway, while he hasn't really put, I don't think, his imprint truly on a game yet. I mean, he was 3 of 11 from outside in that game. He had 15 points last time out for UNCG. He's really down in the percentages this year. He was fifth in the SoCon in three-point shooting last season, down 10% this year, and he's just 4 of 17 from outside since he's returned. Yes, 15 points is, you know, it's all right. Um, it's a good game for pretty much everybody, yeah, but he didn't really play his game, have a truly uh, statement game in coming back. I hope this isn't the one because now you look up and down UNCG's roster, everybody's there, ETSU missing a big piece, of course. Now, unfortunately, that's kind of the time of year it is, right? It seems like you know this time of year everybody's battling something. Now, UNCG has just battled it earlier on than some teams coming down the stretch, and ETSU still dealing with Jerome, but Galloway's also a key defensively. You know, he has 29 blocks, and he and James Dickey have combined for 67 of the team's 87 blocks, so he can do a little bit of everything on each end of the floor just by the nature of player that he is. So big for him to be back, and UNCG could have used him certainly offensively in that first game that the Bucks played the Spartans, and yes, you can say what you want about the end of the game, but I thought we talked about defense in the first segment. ETSU defensively was simply stellar that game. I mean, Isaiah Miller was forced into some really, really difficult shots. When it came down to it, Isaiah versus Isaiah on the defensive end of the floor for the Bucks, taking that charge, the thing that I think ultimately, along with a few others, set Wesley Miller off uh, and ended up getting him ejected. But defense has won the Bucks games. It won ETSU that game, but they're going to have to be that much better defensively this time around with Hunter having some games logged behind him since coming back and Kyron Galloway now getting his third game back as their third leading scorer. I think the, the big thing in the first matchup, number one, ETSU got to the free throw line and hit him. 79% free throw shooting, 26 makes on 33 attempts. If you make more than your opponent attempts, we've talked about that before, usually – it's going to lead to victories, and the Bucks were plus, without Rodriguez, plus nine on the glass. Now Galloway is clearly going to be able to help UNCG on the glass, but Hughley with fourteen points, the nine rebounds, Gasson, Patterson, and Hodges all with six boards. That was something ETSU didn't crash, but again, there were a lot of shots missed, a lot of opportunities, but it didn't seem like everyone was going to the boards other than maybe Tisdale and Hodges a lot of the night against Mercer. They've got to correct that. They've got to try to gain rebound because UNCG is not particularly a great shooting team but where they do do a great job is turnovers and points off turnovers and that'll be sort of a key matchup between the two teams of who's going to be able to force more turnovers who's going to be able to capitalize off that ETSU 18 turnovers in the first contest UNCG had 14 turnovers and UNCG crushed ETSU on points off turnovers which almost negated the free throw difference 23 to 11 second chance points ETSU again without Rodriguez 15 to 11 uh, a second chance point so again I thought that was very much important and this is a game yes where both teams will not be at full strength again for UNCG they've not had many games they're at full strength so they're still trying to figure out 
they could be very dangerous as this year goes, getting all those guys healthy and being able to keep those players on the floor together to sort of build a little bit of chemistry. And then, of course, there's just the dangerous Isaiah Miller. I mean, just watching the end of the Western Carolina game, especially where he kind of split, um, kind of used a screen. They were trying to trap him. He split it, took two steps, elevated up, and absolutely tomahawked a dunk in the middle of the lane just said good night to Western Carolina. I mean, he didn't, but I would have if I was him. I would have waved bye-bye to the crowd because that was sort of the the nail in the coffin, an emphatic nail in the coffin at that. So uh, ETSU, I think, is going to be important for them to crash the glass, to try to not give up, as they did in the first half against UNCG, a lot of live ball turnovers, which led to some buckets easily and allowed UNCG to get out to that eight-point halftime lead. And it got a little dangerous there because it felt like UNCG could run away with it. Bucks got it to single digits, got it to eight, and then, of course, uh, a good start to the second half, and then a little back and forth, and then, of course, the 9 nothing run in the contest. Yeah, and you look at those first 10 or so minutes of basketball, and it was tough to watch. I mean, undoubtedly, if you're a fan of offense, you were sitting back and scratching your head a bit and wondering if you would stick with that game the rest of the way. And if you did, you're extremely happy you did because it ended up being you know a heck of a game. Again, maybe not the prettiest, but on the road, in league play, you take wins any way you can get them. And the Bucks made plays down the stretch, specifically on the defensive end of the court, to be able to put that one away. The 9 nothing run, yes, aided by technicals, but you have to get your free throws. Now, I believe it was Patrick Good who did miss one clutch one, but it ended up not mattering because Wesley Miller got the uh, second technical um, and thus it went from a one-point game to a four-point game and he cost his team the game at least in terms of a chance to uh, tie take the lead get it to overtime whatever it may be Uh, but it was because of ETSU's just frustrating defense on the uh, on the Spartans now cutting down on turnovers I agree 100 percent you know 18 is too many uh, really points out turnovers is what kept the Bucks in the Mercer game. You know, you look at the 20 turnovers that they forced, turn that into 17 points, while Mercer on 11 ETSU turnovers only was able to get nine. So that was a big thing last game. And, you know, defensively, if you can force more mistakes than the 14. Now, 14 is still uh, a, a number that I think ETSU will take. They just have to cut down on theirs. And if they can just flip those two numbers, I think that that's the kind of defensive effort it's going to take against a Spartans team that is at 100%. Uh, I think Lucas Goussaint has to be more physical, more ready in this game. His stat line isn't bad uh, from that first UNCG game, um, but he really struggled at times to hold on to the ball, uh, to make the most of his opportunities. And you look at that turnover number, I think it was five that he had, five of the Bucks, 18. And at a couple of different points, Coach Forbes and the staff, I know, frustrated with his play that day against UNCG. Uh, for him to show up, especially now with Galloway in at six foot eight, that's going to be big. Joe Hughley had an excellent day. He's going to have to have something similar, a, a very similar type of effort, I think, to be able to continue to fill in for Dromi Rodriguez effectively. Um, and you're going to need some consistency. Um, and we talked about Patrick Good and Trey Boyd, but you're going to need some consistency on the offensive end, unlike that first game. You made 17 field goals and won. And that just does not happen very often. It's the fewest field goals that ETSU's made this season. And to be able to come out of that type of offensive effort with a W. Now, give UNCG credit. You know, defensively, they're, they're solid. And they'll be even more solid with Galloway back. But 
this is the perfect time to get Patrick Good and Trey Boyd going again. I mean, Boyd is what? Three for his last 16. Good is 0 for his last 14. So three for your last 30. 10% from the field for the last three games for Patrick Good, last two games for Trey Boyd. Um, and I don't know how Coach Forbes and company are going to do that. Are they going to draw up design set plays for their shooters to get open? Um, for Trey, you know, that's obviously – and Pat, you know, obviously things that, you know, moving without the ball, some of their specialties. You know, Trey's got a bit more of a complete offensive game where he can move into that mid-range and attack once in a while. And Pat's pretty much a strictly outside-the-arc shooter. So how do you find those two ways to get off the schneid? And Coach Forbes said in that bite we heard in the first segment – he hasn't talked to Pat about his struggles. I'm guessing there's a conversation that happened between Wednesday and tomorrow or will happen uh, before tomorrow where, you know, Coach Forbes, it sounds, says, hey, anything going on? You know, what can we do to help? How can we get you in the right positions to be successful? Because what has been happening is not going to work if you're going to try and challenge for the league title. I thought it was interesting. Last matchup, James Dickey guarded Pat Good a lot. I thought that was interesting because obviously you don't see, you know, a 6'10", 6, 6, you know, whatever, 11 guy guarding the 6-foot guy. But knowing that Pat Good's game is a catch-and-shoot from three, they wanted the length out there to try to disrupt Pat Good and giving him some open looks. And so it would be interesting to see if they try to do that again. And Pat, smartly, was able to pick up a couple of two-point field goals. It was 0 of 3 from three, 5 of 6 from the line. So uh, I think he – found a way to be productive uh, in that contest. And I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, Galloway's another sort of non-traditional big man. And so how do they defend Pat Good? How do they defend Trey Boyd? You know, I think it's still going to be Tisdale and Hodges that'll switch up on Miller as far as the other end of the floor is concerned. These are the two best def- – well, two of the three best defensive teams in the league in conference games again more apples to apples ETSU averaging giving up 64 points per game Wofford's at 65 UNCG's at 67 UNCG the best scoring margin or plus eight because they're scoring 75 a game giving up 67 the Bucks are second on that list scoring 70 giving up 63 so it's almost a, a to me who can get to 70 I think if you can get to 70 you've got a great opportunity um, just looking at statistically speaking and even the last game of teams holding teams under 70. And the first matchup, you know, ETSU held UNCG to under 60 on our home floor. So I think if somebody can get to 70, then I think they've got a great shot to win the basketball game because the defenses, and again, I'm still going with ETSU, a little bit of an outlier. The second half, Chattanooga. Last three halves of basketball have not been great for ETSU defensively. So I'm thinking ETSU's got an opportunity to maybe stop that. And it's going to be important for them to hit a couple of shots early, get to the free throw line, rebound, and certainly not turn the basketball over at the clip, live ball at least turnovers at the clip that they did in the first meeting. Yeah, and you make a good point. I mean, this is going to be most likely a back-and-forth, low-scoring battle, at least if recent history is any indicator. 60-59 to last year, remember that as the second-to-last game of the regular season where UNCG uh, laid on. God, I believe it was Isaiah Miller. Yeah, that he's just such a specialist late in games at getting to the basket and getting the big hoop. And he did it last year with five seconds left to give UNCG the victory down in Greensboro. And then you look, what, the first matchup of the year, 75 to 68. So, you know, again, first to 70. So there is a style of game that these two teams play, certainly against each other. You know, it, 
it can be a bit different uh, when you look at what each does outside of their own matchup um, because, you know, the Bucks have shown many different ways to win. UNCG, if you look up and down their schedule, they've, uh, you know, putting up 86 at Furman was certainly a head turner. Um, now it took double OT, but they put up 92 against Wofford. And uh, you can see that they're a team that can score, but I really think they do like the Bucks, And this is what makes it such a great matchup. They do like to defend. And when you really buy in on that end of the court, and attribute a lot of that to coaching, right? You, you got to be able to motivate, get the right personalities, you know, know how to get through to these kids, especially in the, the era of the 30-foot three. I mean, if you can find players that all are in it for the same reasons and all believe that what you're telling them is the right thing on that end of the court and they're with you on that, uh, you're going to play some battles against other teams that do the same, much like ETSU. I, I think the league certainly didn't do them any favors. This is the fifth road game in our last six. Mm. And you want to take it a little further than that, it's their seventh in the first nine. They're, they played at Wofford on January 4th, and he hosted ETSU on the road, Furman Citadel, at home chat, on the road, Sanford, West Carolina, ETSU. So you're talking about – adding some confidence if uncg can come in and pick up that win then at home for three straight citadel sanford west carolina i mean they're they're looking their chops to get through this last game now is there a little bit of does the leg uh you know this isn't like the nba where if you talk about five games in a row you're on planes in different cities and in hotels for 10 11 days i mean they you know again down them back maybe one night stay and, and then come back but Still, it's the fifth out of the last six. We'll see how that plays out in Johnson City. For the Bucks, they'll start some a little bit of a road swing. Uh, but for UNCG, they're thinking if they can just pick this game up and then sit there and get three good ones at home. Oh, to come out 6-0 and in this stretch would be unbelievable for them. A huge confidence boost and really make the statement that they are what people thought they were coming into the year. And, you know, we mock and ridicule Wes Miller when he gets thrown out of games in shocking fashion as he was, but he's a good coach. You know, there's no question that he is a good coach. He has consistently performed in this league, and his teams don't let down when it comes to expectation. You know, what they are is what you're going to get. So to come out 6-0 and in this stretch would be uh, very impressive. They put up 70-plus in each of the last five. And with ETSU, you know, entering the new month, the last month of the regular season, there's going to be a little bit more urgency. And I'm one that, and this is also, you know, to tie in last segment to this segment, I like a loss here and there. And since UNCG lost TTSU, they're 5-0. and You know, they came out and had that big statement against Furman. Coach Forbes talked about it in his last soundbite with you. Now, we didn't play it here, but uh, you can hear it on uh, your postgame talk with him on Buccaneer Sports Network's uh, SoundCloud. we got Santos and the Psychic Buccaneer Sports Network SoundCloud separately. On the Buccaneer Sports Network, Forbes postgame always posted. And he said quite simply that they're in a very similar situation to last time that they played UNCG because it was the Furman game where to quote coach Forbes, everyone thought the sky was falling. You put up 56 points and lose after a 49 point effort where you somehow eked out a victory and ETSU responded UNCG. I'm sure some people thought the sky was falling when Wes Miller got thrown out of that game against the Bucks, And then they go out and win five straight. Now ETSU is coming off a loss against Mercer. Semi shocking. No question, the, uh, not only the loss itself, but just in the fashion that you lost. And how do they respond? Coach Forbes, excellent in these situations, much like Wes Miller is. I'm wondering if this loss in the long run doesn't help ETSU, and certainly we're going to find that out uh, right away when facing UNCG. But 
I'm expecting a very similar response for the Bucks that UNCG had after ETSU's uh, defeat, or I should say victory over them um, at the Greensboro Coliseum. I'm expecting the Bucks to be more focused. I'm expecting some maybe holes to have emerged when you watch the tape and try and, you know, Coach Forbes and his staff plug those holes, figure out exactly where ETSU needs to improve, press the right buttons, and come out at 110%. You know, come out in overdrive, come out with energy, come out out to prove a point. Because the guys that are on this team, they have the right mindset. And you can see it when they're tweeting. You can hear it in their voices. You can uh, tell them their togetherness on the floor uh, that they know exactly what they need to do. They know that it's just a blip on the radar. They're not going to get wrapped up in this one loss. They're going to come out better than ever after that loss to Mercer, as UNCG has. So this is going to be a very solid matchup. I'm really excited for it, and I still think it's a top-five game this Saturday as ESPN build it before the loss that ETSU had. 4 o'clock, tip time inside Freedom Hall, UNCG, ETSU. The 1 o'clock game in Brooks Gym, it's ETSU versus Chattanooga. We'll preview that on the women's side after this timeout. Santa Sidekick on the Buccaneers. Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. It is Friday, segment three. We've got one more segment coming up, bold predictions. Then on Monday, we're going to be back with you, going to recap ETSU men's basketball versus UNCG, ETSU women's basketball versus Chattanooga, which we're talking this segment. And we're also going to have one of my favorite segments that, while Jay is out of the room, he'll be back in just a moment, but that he's gone, I can say this, it's going to be Jay Knows the English Language. The second edition this year, I think the fourth edition all time, it does take some time to save up, find the exact right things to cut out and go through the vetting process, go to a committee, have them review the bites, see if they're up to par, and quite honestly, I'm just not listening to Jay all the time. So it is uh, kind of dependent and contingent on me actually paying attention and hearing the Jay Sandoz inevitable mess-ups to be able to cut them out for Jay Knows the English Language, just to give a peek behind the curtain. And we'll also review bold predictions in which I need a drastic and complete comeback. Uh, right now, things are not looking very brightly for me, with about, oh, I don't know, only three or four more bold prediction segments left on the year. UNCG and ETSU talk on the men's side behind us. Chattanooga and ETSU on the women's side at 1 o'clock, 12.30 pregame on the Buccaneer Sports Network. And this is a Chattanooga team that was simply horrific in the non-conference one, one time. But conference play is here. The great equalizer, Jay, as you talked about with the men's team, you're looking at conference stats because it is more apples to apples. And when it comes to apples to apples, you've had apples and apples on each side for Chattanooga because they've had three wins and three losses. And some of those wins have been quite impressive, uh, undoubtedly, with some of the victories that they've been able to pick up. Uh, I believe Wofford and Furman, back-to-back games at home, put up 80 against Wofford. Now, that's a big outlier because this Chattanooga team is averaging just 52 points per game. Worst in the league, bottom 20 in the country. ETSU not putting the ball in the basket at the clip they'd like either. Certainly the 34 points against Sanford is an eye-popper. That was the second 
fewest in ETSU program history. This is alumni day, so you're going to have the uh, added mystique and also the added pressure of having some alumni back, former players, trainers, managers, coaches. It's also the first pink game of ETSU for uh, the basketball season. They'll also do one on February 20th against Sanford. That is, I believe, the game before Senior Day. Yeah, indeed it is. Uh, before Mercer, which is on the 22nd. Uh, this one carries a lot of weight because you're hitting the midway point of conference play. You're either going to be 2-5, and five, which looks a lot different than 3-4 and four if you get the W. And Coach Zell talked with you on the Coach's Show two weeks back about going from the first half of the season to the second half and the goal when you get to that midway point, and she said three and four. Got to take one of the two on the road against Sanford and Mercer. They were able to take the Mercer game, snap that eight-game losing streak, and now they've got the Chattanooga contest in which the mocks are better lately but still struggling to score. At three and three, the mocks would like to move above 500. ETSU would like to tie Chattanooga going to the second half of the season at three and four, and in order to get to their ultimate goal of finishing you know above 500 in the league again finishing the top four to be able to be the high seed and pushing towards that conference title getting momentum towards it i think this is a pretty huge ball game you all right yes to all okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> gotta get a throat lozenge. i was coughing my head off last segment but um it's chattanooga all right i think first and foremost but i think saturday is a huge separation day around the league because you've got teams really trying to figure it out you got the top two teams in uncg and sanford playing you've got the next two teams in Furman and wofford playing then you got the next two teams in chattanooga etsu playing so basically the one two the the teams that are tied for first the teams that are tied for second the third fourth team playing and then the bottom two teams are playing so to me it's a it's a great day for women's basketball to have a little bit of separation and what's going to go on there Chattanooga in league games is averaging about the same scoring, 55 points, ETSU's 54 points. This is two teams that struggle to score the basketball. Chattanooga's only given up 57 points, where the Bucks have given up 68, so a little bit more separation on that regard. And I said 70 was sort of the number to hit in the men's game against UNCG. I think it's 65. I think whoever gets the 65 points in the Chattanooga-ETSU women's basketball game is about – where you need to be to win that contest. And I think this is a big step because ETSU gets three games at home in a row. And I think if they can pick up that win Saturday, it'll be huge. It's alumni. You mentioned the pink, everything about it. I think it's going to be a very important game for ETSU. More important, I think, for ETSU than maybe Chattanooga. Um, And they'll play again. They'll have to go to the roundhouse at some point in time and and play them there. But I think uh, ETSU offensively, need to have three maybe four ladies in double figures they can't have the long can't have the quarter it's really their spurts haven't been quite on the men's side where it's been a seven eight minute droughts now last game it wasn't for Merck, but they've had you know those long droughts it's been an entire quarter that etsu is sure they may play three quarters great and have the one quarter off i don't think they can afford that against chattanooga no, it definitely can't and it's interesting to see despite chattanooga struggling to score how things have unfolded this year and why those struggles have come about. And really, while the Mox didn't lose a ton in terms of top-end players, they've got Lakeland Bolden and Ebony Williams back. They lost a lot of their role players that gave them significant and positive minutes. It really affected the game in the ways that they need to be able to have success. And with them gone, what they basically done is tighten the rotation. You look across their starting lineup and you've got 
the same lineup for all but out of 100 possible games, right, 100 possible starts, five players, 20 games, 96 have been from the same players. So you've had three players start 20 games and then two that have started 18. And Lakeland Bolden, you'll know her name if you've paid any attention to women's basketball around the SoCon over the last few years. She's having her worst year, and it's strange because you get to your senior season and you're expecting this big culmination. And I'm sure for Katie Burroughs in her second year uh, at Chattanooga, uh, surprising to see and I'm sure that uh, Lakeland's pressing a bit and right now whatever she is doing is not working because the percentages are just way way down um, she's really right around a career 40 percent shooter and she's shooting 32 percent this year and with the volume that she gets that really hurts the offense Ebony Williams is playing a lot more but not producing a lot more she's a Southern Conference freshman of the year by the coaches last season 18 minutes per game last year 27 per game this year and she's averaging the exact same amount of points, 8.8. So all they've done is give the players that they rely on, the Bria Dials, the Ebony Williams, the Lakeland Boldens, they've given them more minutes, tighten the rotation, but you're getting the same production out of those players despite them playing more minutes. Even Bolden is playing three, four more minutes per game. So it's a combination of the two. They're just not shooting the ball extremely well. They're not getting the production from their top-end players, even though they're out on the floor more, and they don't have anyone else to turn to when they're not getting those top-end producers to give more like they need to. Last in the league in scoring, last in the league in field goal percentage, second to last in the league in field goal percentage, defense tied last in the league in steal, last in the league in offensive rebounds, last in the league in assist-to-turnover ratio. I don't think ETSU can have the bad quarter like you talked about, but I don't think one will kill them in a game like this because I do think, unless some unforeseen turn of events has this one push into the 70s. You know, ETSU scored over 70 just once against a Division One opponent this year. And Chattanooga, you know, you look across the board and they've scored above 60 five times. So both teams are not ones to try and push pace or really, you know, elevate into those 70s or 80s, on, except for the one outlier for, you know, Chattanooga with that 80-76 to 76 win over Wofford. So one bad quarter, I don't think, kills them. But if those bad quarters start to pile up like they did against Sanford, three quarters where they had seven points apiece, then you're in trouble. Well, <clears throat> rebounding is the other interesting thing because ETSU doesn't start many games with a rebounding advantage for rebounds per game and all that, but they do against Chattanooga. So that's something ETSU struggled at at different times this year getting rebounds that's clearly something Chattanooga has struggled out so if ETSU is able to win the battle on the glass especially get when they're not shooting the ball well and they've struggled to shoot the ball this whole season but if you can get extra possessions and extra opportunities to score I think that's going to be very important plus ETSU is a pretty good free throw shooting team and they still do a great job of getting to the free throw line Chattanooga's not particularly deep you know they don't want to run in a lot of folks so I think that's uh very important for ETSU. And I think ETSU could have a slight advantage inside the post. I think Shania Jackson, Tiana Kimbrough have an opportunity to have maybe big games. And I don't know that, you know, I know Jackson had the 20-point outburst not too long ago. I don't know that they need that. But if they can get a combined 20 to 25 points from both ladies, I think that would be tremendous in helping them pick up the win. Like a Trey Boyd and a Pat Good, right? Absolutely. Don't need to lead the team in scoring. Don't need to blow up, but need to be solid. Don't need to be spectacular, but need to be solid. I think what you can't do is foul, because Chattanooga doesn't do a lot of things well. They are third in the league in free throw percentage. They're 3-1 and one in games where they make at least 16 free throws. Their only loss being to UT Martin. 1-15 when they make less than 16. And the only victory was... Uh, over Liberty that was back in the early portion of the non-conference 71 to 54 when they went 14 for 21 I don't foul but also play aggressive defense because this team will turn it over in Chattanooga 
and ETSU is a team early in the season that was doing well taking the ball away. They were averaging eight per game in steals in the first 17 games of the year, but only 4.75 steals per game, just 19 combined steals over the last four games. To get back to that aggressive defense without fouling, and that can be an Achilles heel for this team because most of the players that are out there, aside from the Micah Sheets, the Kaya Upton, they just haven't logged a lot of floor minutes. So the defensive positioning, that instinctive knowing where you need to be to stop what the opponent's going to do, and having that kind of sixth sense for being able to be in that right spot and knowing how far is too far when it comes to that pressure, uh, that aggressiveness defensively. It's so, so big in a game like this because if you continuously send Chattanooga to the free throw line, they will make you pay. Even remember last year, the first matchup between the two teams at the Roundhouse opening conference play, Lakeland Bolden made eight free throws, went eight for eight in the last two minutes and nine seconds of the game to ice that game. You certainly can't foul her because she's one of the best free throw shooters in the conference, and ETSU uh, did not know, uh, or if they did know, they just ignored the direction to not foul Lakeland Bolden last year when she was trying to ice the game. She's one that you have to keep off the stripe. As long as you can create points off turnovers, take the ball away without fouling, not give Chattanooga easy points, 100% winnable game, and it would be a great way to celebrate Alumni Day, obviously, whenever you've got some that have been in the program when it's maybe one of it, a few more games, had a bit more success in the postseason. You want to put on a good show and keep those alumni engaged. Absolutely. I, I, alumni Day is always big because it's such a prideful day for folks to come back, and it might be the only time that year they're able to see live in person their alma mater play they get to see their teammates the coach everybody that's able to come back and go so it's such an important day and it just starts the first of what i think is one of the best days on etsu's campus because you can get two games you know uh, with five hours starting at one they in, specifically in moved this start time from yeah. two to one so that you can get everything yes, yeah exactly. absolutely and for us on the network it's great because we can start a, a full pregame show at twelve thirty, do a full post game at 3.30-ish, we'll transition from women's to men's. And then 4 o'clock, the tip of the men's game. So, again, if you're in town, you're able to make both. That is what we encourage you to do. If you're not, you can tune in to the Buccaneer Sports Network from 12.30 to roughly 6.30, about six hours of coverage right. on the radio consecutively. So we'll have that for you tomorrow. We'll recap it on Monday. Very special Super Bowl edition of Bold Predictions after this time out. Your Warp Santa Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks Jay Sandoz live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show, every Wednesday at 6, right here on WXSMAM 640, The Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold predictions. Ah, let's talk about how I'm winning and you're losing. 
You're going to make me open the book. I'm winning. Relive the pain. And you, hold on, I'm not done. And you're losing. Go ahead. I'm I, winning. You're done. You're losing. 17 you've gotten right, and I've gotten 14 right. You're up by three, uh, but it's a big week. Huge week. Did you know? Big. It is Super Bowl Sunday on Sunday. Did you know, Jay Sandoz? Breaking news here in Yes, my Chiefs okay, are yeah. in it. Go. Your Chiefs. We are going to do a special prop edition. Woo! I love props. Of bowl predictions. Always fun. Are these photo props or different props? Uh, these are not photo props. I don't know what mm. photo props are. Mm. Uh, but they are also not the... Carrot top prop comedy. Oh, Hopefully, the only thing comedy about this will be your picks, and the only thing great about it will be my picks. First, I'm going to make, before we get into the props, a bold prediction about the game itself Chiefs. My Chiefs by 14 or more. It's a blowout. Super Bowl is going to be lame. Wow. Don't even tune in. Don't need to. You just heard the result. 14 or more. Although, I will say this the Chiefs, despite blowing out opponents in the postseason, have made it interesting. They have started out and kind of lulled you into a false sense of security about, oh, well, you know, look at Andy Reid. Can never win the big one. Same old guy, just pounding cheeseburgers and not looking at game plans. <laughs> but not this time. Ah, who doesn't love a He's good earned it. cheeseburger? He has earned it. Who loves a good cheeseburger? That's a good point. So I'm going to go with that. Are you going to make any predictions about the game itself? I'll, yes, but I'm going to, since uh, I thought we were just doing props, uh, I will do it at the end. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I gotta, I gotta I'll let you formulate. Yeah, yeah, there for we sure. go. Uh, okay, Gatorade color. And now keep in mind, mm, we're all going to pick mm. the same props. And if we agree... Mm-hmm. Then we're just going to throw it out because it doesn't really matter then okay. in terms of bold predictions. We obviously make different bold predictions every week from each other. If there's ever a same one, we have to change it. So that's the same thing here. If we agree, throw it out. I've got four props. I've also got some exotic props that we are not going to pick, but I definitely want to bring up because they're hilarious. Okay. Gatorade color, your thoughts. Well, I'm winning. So you, you go first. <laughs> oh, that's right. All right. Uh, red. It has never since they have tracked such things, when did they start doing Gatorade baths? When did that become a thing? Mm, I was able to find like 80s, 17, 18 years of it tracked on a website. Yeah, I, think, I think the 80s. It had never been red and has never been red, but it will be red. Both teams wear red, and I'll be seeing red coming out of that Gatorade bath. Uh, well, that's good because I had I was going orange. So orange. We're, we're going orange to be, is a pretty popular one. That's exactly to me. why I went orange. And it's funny because... You look at the odds, and there are odds on such things, crazy as it may seem. Purple went from, like, plus 1,200 to the odds-on favorite. Like, minus 120 or something like that. So, incredible to see purple make such a drastic jump. I wonder why that is, A, and I wonder who is influencing those lines by throwing so much coin on purple. Because you have to have some inside information to bet as big as people must have bet to change the odds that much. Am I right? I would assume you would have to have a lot of money to move a line that much. Demi Lovato, over or under two minutes, national anthem. It's exactly uh, two minutes. Over. I'm also going over, so we're going to throw that okay. out. You've got orange. <laughs> I've got uh, red on Gatorade. I have George Kittle receiving yards and Xander mm. Shoffley final round score at the Phoenix Open, which is more. Love this one. Absolutely love it. Uh, Kittle. You're going Kittle. Mm-hmm. I'm going Kittle also. I thought you'd go Shoffley. Mm. All right, so this is not going to work if we agree on all of them. Okay, we did disagree on one. Over or under the total number of Donald Trump tweets on game day? We're talking midnight to midnight, 13 and a half. You're up first. I am going under. You know, I was going over. So all right. There we go. Yes. So you're going to go over. Uh, and you go ahead and keep looking for your 
uh, pick for the game. I do have to bring up some of these fantastic exotic props. Will Andy Reid coach the Super Bowl in a Hawaiian shirt? Yes, plus 1,400, no, minus 10,000. Will Andy Reid eat a cheeseburger before the end of the Super Bowl broadcast? Yes, plus 1,200, no, minus 7,500. Will Dave Portney get kicked out of the Super Bowl? Yes, plus 550, no, minus 1,000. All of them absolutely <laughs> fantastic. The cheeseburger one I mean, clearly the best. For, for Portney, by the way, didn't he just get a $450 million? Uh, I think he mer- is going to merge with a casino or something really? crazy worth 450, 450 mil. I believe is what couldn't have happened reported. to a bigger idiot on the planet. Yeah, what's your pick? <sighs> Cowboy up and go play ball. <laughs> Cowboy up and go play ball. Let's go. The Chiefs will have a touchdown of seventy-five or more yards. I like ball it. Prediction. You're going Chiefs on this game as well, or do you think that it'll be? But no, no, my Chiefs are winning. But yes, yes, of course. We're how, how are they your Chiefs again? Can you explain to those that have just been tuned to the show? I, you, You're you, a Patriots you fan told that me, love the Titans told in the playoffs. I have yeah, you, to let Tom Brady go, yeah. so I'm trying to find a new quarterback. And so you're so, testing them all out. Yeah. You're testing yeah. out Ryan Tannehill. Uh, yeah. you're testing I had Tannehill there for a while. He let me down. and I mean, I can't be let down. I'm used to you know, perfection. I'm terrific. I'm You've been dying. spoiled, needless to say. Yeah. I hope the Patriots don't win another Super Bowl for 50 years. You probably won't. They've clearly had enough to last them for 50 years. The run is over. That's all there's to it. All right, that'll do it. When we come back Monday, we'll recap Chattanooga UNCG. We'll tell you how we did on the Super Bowl prop bets on another edition of Santos and Sidekicks. On the market, here. Come on, Jaguar. See ya.